We're kicking off a brand new series today called Brave. Brave. Turn to somebody next to you and say, are you brave? Are you brave? Are you brave? Yeah. Um, The tagline for our series is living a life of courage. Living a life of courage. Come on, just by show of hands, who believes that the believer should have courage? Yeah. Let's ask another question. Who, who has known Christians long enough to know that not every believer has courage? Come on. Maybe that was you. Um, th- th- this month, we're going to talk about the importance of courage. My wife's going to be preaching this month. I'm excited about that. As well as uh, a few more guests and obviously myself. Um, but we're going to talk about this idea of bravery and courage And why it's so important for the Christian um, to walk in this. I want to give you a few statistics. Barna Research got together. And and if anybody's ever heard of Barna Research before, Barna Research is a Christian organization of researchers and philosophers and theologians and statisticians who came together one year, maybe about almost 20 years ago, and they said, listen, um, we're not just going to take somebody's word for it. We're going to start doing surveys all around the country to um, back up the claims that we make about Christianity. This is an organization, a research organization that says you can't just walk around and say nobody's going to church and you haven't done the research. This is an organization that says if you're saying that atheism is on the rise, nope, we got to do a survey We got to talk to some people and we got to truly discover what's going on. Turn to somebody next to you and say, the numbers don't lie. The numbers don't lie. They they, they did a study, Barna, about five years ago, maybe even as soon as three years ago, and they updated every year and they listed the top issues in Christianity and with the Christian. And and I want to tell you just about Seven of them. There was about nine, but I want to give you seven of them. Here's the first one. The first issue with Christianity and with Christians today is a diluted faith. What what is a diluted faith? A faith that is um, watered down. Right. When, When they looked at this generation, they said one of the top issues in our generation today, based on research, is that we've watered down what we believe in. If if you're a non-believer in here, you've stepped in for the first time. You're like, I'm not a Christian, but I wanted to come. Just roll with us for a second. This is a family meeting, but it's also an educational moment. Top issue, we've watered down our faith. I love what the founder of the Salvation Army said about this almost 50 to 60 years ago. He said this, religion without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without the Christ, forgiveness without repentance, Politics without God and heaven without hell. He predicted that this would be the state of Christianity almost 60 years later. I'm going to read it again, that we'd have religion without the Holy Ghost. Now, we talk about this all the time. Now, the Salvation Army, um, who's ever been to the Salvation Army before? Yeah. How many of you knew it was a church? Do you know that? I didn't know that until I got close. I thought they just did outreach. But the story of the Salvation Army um, is that they started churches and then they realized, man, our church should be a center that takes care of the world. And they became more known for their outreach than their services. 
but they're actually churches. And they've got about 3,500 churches around the world. And they're in the darkest parts of the city. And the founder of the Salvation Army predicted this would be the issue in the church. And we talk about this idea of, uh, you know, our six core principles and pillars here at Story Church. And one of them is that we are spirit-filled. In other words, we believe that you cannot be a Christian at the highest level if you don't believe that God still moves today. In other words, we stop moments in service and we go, mm, healing anointing in the room. That should be normal. But for many of us, it's, ooh, what's going on? <laughs> we got to move on. You know why you've been used to, and I'm not hating on any church because I think every church plays its part. But a church without the spirit is missing some things. See, many of us, we've been used to three songs and a message. And then we, well, why are you not come back to church? Because I can get that on the treadmill. But why is it important? Why is it important to come to church? Because when you come to church, you should have an experience. This is why our churches decline because we, we we've lost the experience. There's something about the collective body. I can't lay hands on you through the computer. You got to come down to this altar and I got, there's things that happen in the church. I know I've already started. I'm in the first one minute. Sorry. I did my research for today. He predicted the church today. We'd have religion without the Holy Ghost. Christianity without the Christ. I love what Gandhi said. He said, you know, uh, I, I like your Jesus. I just don't like your Christians. It's not Jesus that I really have a problem with. It's Christians. So I'm not, I'm not going to be a follower. Because look at his followers. Christianity without Christ. That's mainstream, right? Uh, here's what I love this. Forgiveness without repentance. <laughs> Come on, we're living in the age of grace. Where it's like, I just do whatever I want to do and God forgive me. He will. But is that the mandate? No. Paul said, just because you'll be forgiven of your sin doesn't mean you should live in it. Because the, I, the, the goal of Christianity is that when you become saved, your life should look different. But not just different for different sake, but so that you can access the greater story. Come on, we're story. That you can access the greater story God has for you. That as you, in other words, um, Christianity makes your life better and makes you better at life. I mean, that's, that's the whole point. And you only experience that when you submit to, that's Christianity without the Christ. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, forgiveness without repentance. Politics, I don't have time to go down this road. Without God. Isn't it amazing that there are Democratic Christians and Republicans? Wait, we all believe in Jesus. But yet, land on different places. Come on, this is what we, politics without God. The Bible should, and, and at one time it did, govern the rules of the land. Heaven without hell. I know we're talking heavy today. I mean, welcome. 
This is the series on bravery. You're like, what a story. Just, I know I'm the lead pastor. It's me. This is where we go. Heaven without the hell. Uh, what, what does that point to? Uh, heaven without the hell and having a theology without hell um, is very similar and related to forgiveness without repentance. In other words, we just want to believe there is no consequence. Without hell, how do we need Christ? Jesus came that our lives would be redeemed, that we'd be reconnected, that he would pave the way. And there's nothing you have to do. This is what I love about Jesus, because he says there's nothing you have to do to get into heaven. You just got to believe and receive the gift. This is what we find ourselves today. Living in our own realities, living in our own truth. This is what Barnes is, a diluted faith. Number two, y'all all all right? I know, that's the first five minutes. Number two, put it on the screen, pride. Pride. They did a survey, Barner, the issues with Christianity today and Christians. Pride. I love this. Um, This is an anonymous theologian that they got with, and he said this, the church is sick, and she doesn't want to admit that. You have to admit you are ill before you can realize the need for healing. And the few who do recognize it only want to separate themselves from her and judge her. Yeah, yeah. Pride is a big issue in the church. But, but I love this last part, right? Um, the few that do recognize that the church is sick. Instead of helping it become better, we leave. Right, we recognize there's a problem with, with Christianity. There's a problem with the church. Uh-uh-uh. Church is the enemy. No, no, no. We are the body, and God has revealed it to many of you about the sickness, not for you to leave, but for you to stay and do surgery. I, I love what a, a, a bishop told me once. A bishop told me this. He said, ministry is doing surgery without losing the patient in the process. I love that. Come on, that's what God has called us to. The church is, it's, it's obviously Jesus' baby, but it's, it's ours. He's given it to us. He's, he's made us it. But what Barnard is saying is pride is one of the biggest reasons we actually walk away. I'm better than this. I don't. They did that, but not, not realizing that the idea of um, Christianity and salvation means that all of us at some point or another are hypocritical. No, no, no. The pastor did this and this person did this and that person. How do you claim? Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did you do yesterday? Come on, if we did a survey on your life, are you fully integrated? Not all the time. Come on, you lie a little bit, right? Come on, come on, let's get in your car when you at the red light and somebody. Come on, we let God in almost every area until. But listen, I'm not mad at you. God isn't. He's just trying to say you ain't no different than. We all working it out. But humility would let you say, you know what? Let me live in this. And le- because I ain't perfect. Nor is the man of God. Nor is. Because if we were, there would be no need. All right, number three. Next. Theological inconsistency. Theological inconsistency. The top seven issues that the church is facing right now. I I love this. The theological free-for-all 
that is encroaching in Protestant churches, and Jay, keep me at time, churches nationwide suggest the coming decade will be a time of unparalleled theological diversity and inconsistency. What does that mean? To be theologically inconsistent means that we have a church that once agreed around certain principles that we don't agree on anymore. I'm not going to go into some hot button ones because I'll get in trouble. I end up on Twitter and I don't want to end up on Twitter. But there are some things we used to all agree on. We don't agree on anymore. Right. There are some things that's like, yes, that's what it was. Now, and we'll get to this in a second. Things need to evolve. But at the same time, we can't start changing the text. We need to evolve into the text and understand the revelation of the text. What is the text? The Bible. But there are some things that are foundational. We look in our world today, there are people claiming to be Christians that don't even believe in the sanctity of family anymore. It's like, wait, what happened to the nuclear? Wait, we never thought that would change, right? It's like. I'm going to get to this in a second, but I'm going to keep going. Next one. (laughs) Close minds. Close minds. And I love this because it balances each other out. If you are a biblically educated believer, you know that some of what Barna refers to as basic, universally known truths about Christianity are pagan myths that actually contradict what God's word says about critical issues. So is the answer to bar any outside ideas? In other words, um, Line upon line, precept upon precept, every year as we go deeper into our faith, um, we should evolve. Not change what's sacred, but evolve into deeper truths around what is sacred. Right? And the reason that this is important is because there are some things we don't get right. What's in it? Slavery. Come on, we had to evolve out of that. We had to evolve. But there was once a time. Come on, this is a diverse church. I'm sorry. Welcome. There was once a time when we used the Bible to justify slavery. Actually, the majority of slave owners were Christians. Imagine if their minds had stayed closed. Will we be able to be in one room together? Will we be able to marry people that don't look like? Will we be able to have this church? Come on, we got to evolve. There was once a time the church said that um, God hates gay people. I'm going to move on. Come on. I, I, no, I, I'm not going to go into a theological. I'm not going to tell you what. We're not going down there. Again, I can't end up on Twitter. But what I do want to say is, do you really think God hates gay people? Hates? Now we can we can start talking and debating around sin and I'm, but hates? Come on, He loves us all. At the point that someone that is of the LGBTQIA plus community doesn't feel like they can walk into a church, we got a problem, right? we got to evolve in our faith. Doesn't mean we let go of the 
sake, but, but we do need to evolve. We need to evolve. God hates all divorced people. Like, what are we? I can never get married. How does that? But wait, he, she, being abused. There was once a time that our theology said that you stay in a marriage even though you're being destroyed. Come, come, when I say destroy, I mean beat. I mean beat. There was a time. Did you know that? That you would say, hey, I feel like God wants me to get out of this. And a pastor would tell you, no, 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 just stay in. I'm not talking about getting divorced for any reason because that's wild. Right? We, we do need the c- commitment to marriage to be what it is. Because I do think we get married and jump out and we get in. And it's just like, hey. so, somebody was getting a divorce two days ago and texted me and said, man, I said, you've been going through this divorce process for almost seven months. He said, who, if only it was so uh, hard to get married. <laughs> I said, you know what? Maybe we should do that. Maybe we should make it harder to get married. Because it's too easy. And when anything is too easy, we just. So we do have a generation that just believes that marriage is the same thing as boyfriend and girlfriend. It ain't the same thing. And I learned that the hard way. I said, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, you. I don't like you. I'm leaving." She said, "Where you going?" <laughs> you. I said, "Oh, I gotta stay." <laughs> but you know why? Because when I was single, I could just leave. But now that I'm married, I gotta. I may not like you, but I gotta see you tomorrow. We married. I love what a friend of mine said. He said, "If you leave me, I'm going with you. Don't <laughs> you leave me? I'll be right behind you. I'm coming with you. You ain't leaving me." That's covenant, but we don't have time. Next. Next, next one. Next one. Come on, we talking about courage. Direction. I love this statement. Does the future lie with progressives who can adapt and change or with conservatives who remain faithful to the old paths? Are Christians today basically too mean or too cowardly? Oh, I love this. Y'all all right? I know y'all like, dang, right? On the holiday weekend? I know, it's on. <laughs> direction. Barna says that one of the biggest issues in Christianity is lack of direction because we either way over here or way over there. We, this is connected to what we saw before. Being theologically inconsistent produces a lack of direction because as soon as we come around one, okay, can I, let me give another, and and I don't have a solution to this, but this is an example. Summer of 2020, Black Lives Matter. Anybody remember that? Remember how crazy the world was? Oh my gosh. Right? Nobody was saved. If you said Black Lives Matter, you were getting killed. If you didn't say none, you were getting killed. You said all lives matter. You better watch your head, right? I mean, it's just like, what are we doing? You, nobody could win. And I remember a white friend of mine, can I just let you into my life? That's, this is why I believe in multiculturalism because I believe, I, I have lived a life with people that are not, I see the beauty of unity. There are things, Mike said it earlier, there are things we can help one another with. And why did God make us different? Because he knew that. We are truly complete when we come together. Okay, so a white friend calls me and it was an honest question. I had to respect it. He said, okay, so I'm trying to figure out how to help black people. <laughs> I said, okay. He was like, but they don't agree on everything. I'm like, I know, I know. <laughs> I said, I know. I, he said, so is it black? Is it African-American? 
I said, just say both, brother. I don't know. He's like, but wait, are we, are we, do we want reparations or do we want police? What are we? This is the problem when we're theologically inconsistent. We can't figure out what's next. Because as soon as we over, can I just ask another question? What happened to Black Lives Matter? At one time, it was that, but you know what happened? We changed the direction. So many times it was, it was like, you jumped into it and you were like, okay, this is where we're going. And then you got to the site, you were like, now wait. <laughs> That's not what I thought I agreed to. I agree with the statement, but all this, okay, I, okay, listen, we need to liberate all people, right? Then you just, you just said, brother, you know what you need to change in your business, change it. <laughs> it's like, you know what you need to do. We, black people matter, right? I mean, it's just this. <laughs> Thank you. Welcome to church. We ain't like other places. It is. Okay. I think this is the last one. Put it on the screen. Okay. Two more and I'm done. Honesty. Honesty. Big issue in the church today. He says, I love this. The world is a great place and life is so much fun. But honesty is in people is something very difficult to find. In Western society, there's a crisis due to a breakdown of trust. Who do people trust? Politicians, banks, churches, adults, police, scientists? Saying honesty is, an issue, is a big issue in church. It's, and we know it's a big issue in church because many of us have been at the altar. We've come in churches and we start making statements like, man, I never thought I could be vulnerable here. Right? Because we've been judged. We've been... We got to get honesty back. I believe this is the last one, and then we'll move on. Serving. And listen, I'm not saying this so that you can go serve, even though we need you to serve. Because <laughs> we knew. Only the Lord Jesus can really touch your heart to the degree that your love for him makes you a slave to him. And one who can articulate his faith such that others can believe. I love this idea of being a slave to God. Barna says, because many of us struggle with that idea of being a slave to God, it's very difficult for us to serve God because we have an issue with submission. But that makes sense. We're living in an age where nobody wants to submit to nobody. I had a conversation with someone like, man, who remember back in the day before I was born, leaders were everywhere. It's like, you know, what? we'll follow them. Got it. Now we can't get leaders anywhere because nobody wants to follow anybody. It's, and, and I get it on both sides. It's like, well, I followed them. And they led me the wrong path down the wrong path. So I'm on my own. It's me. Um, we struggle with the idea of submission, and so therefore, we find it hard to serve. Why am I telling you all this? Because as we look at the top seven issues out of nine in Christianity, at the core of many of these things is the idea of bravery. We, we have a brave issue. We, we got a brave. We, we we change our theology. We move around we, because we're just many. We're not brave enough to stand. 
on what God has said. Because if I stand on what God has said and everybody moved over here, well, where does that leave me? Right? If, if I submit, okay, can we, if we were to be honest about submission and being a slave to God, at the core of that is this idea of, but, but, but is it going to work? I tried this before and some man came, we, 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 we've lost our ability to have courage to, to lean in to, to what's necessary. We've theologically inconsistent because, again, we don't want to stand on our own. And I just believe that if we can get courage back into the believer, the world would look different. And not only would the world look different, but your life would look different. Your life would look different. If, if we could just get you to stand on your own two feet, rooted in Christ, courageous in how you relate to God. You know, it's, 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 it's harder to be vulnerable than it is to not be. But we got to be courageous enough to be vulnerable. We got to be courageous enough. And, and I love it. We, we practiced it earlier. Healing is in the room. Come down. You know, the number one reason most of us don't is courage. Y'all looking at me? I ain't got nothing wrong with me. <gasps> right? We're thinking, well, what are they thinking about me as I come down the stairs? I don't have an STD. It's like, now wait. I'm not on drugs. It's like, <laughs> nobody, first of all, is thinking about you, first of all, because half the people here don't even know who you are and you can't see each other. <laughs> but the idea that we might be, see- we might be seen, and we, you know, we take that same mentality to God. What happens if he really sees me? Will he still love me? You ever been in love and you afraid to say it? You was like, I don't want to tell you I love you because if I tell you I love you now, I got to. <sighs> now I got to trust you with my heart. I got, I'm, I'm all off topic, but, but I'm on. I remember, and I'm going to read the scripture. We're going to be gone. I remember when me and, I mean, first in, married couples, raise their hand. Okay, okay. Married longer than two years. Raise your hand. Okay. I remember two years into the marriage with Tony. <laughs> we kept, we just kept fighting. We couldn't stop. It was like WWF all. <laughs> we didn't know what was going on. And it didn't happen until we got married. It was like, hey, we weren't fighting. First two years. And I remember the moment we realized, oh, we're fighting because we love each other. I remember that. Because we were like, wait, we don't hate each other. We actually are fighting because we love each other too much. We were living in the vulnerability. And it was the vulnerability and the fear of being vulnerable that was causing us to, because it's like, huh, huh. Really, it was, I don't like feeling like this around you, right? That's really what it is, right? It's like, why do I care about what you say so much? (laughs) 
She's like, I just told you to get past me to Saul. Yeah, but the way you said it, you're trying to control me. And she's like, I just want the salt. I'm like, but you said it like you. Right? I remember one time she came downstairs and like this, she had like this Pocahontas look. It was beautiful. I said, you on your Pocahontas? She said, what? <laughs> she said, oh, you talking about me now? I said, no, I'm not talking about you. I'm saying it's a comp. Oh, oh. I said, oh my gosh. You know what we lack? We courage. We didn't have no courage. It was, I'm just afraid all the time of what you might be doing. If we could get courage back in the believer, so much would change. The therapist says you are at your worst when you feel unsafe. When are you acting the craziest? You know when you do things that is not you? It's because you feel unsafe. That's when a therapist says you're at your worst. When it's survival mode. You know what helps you in that? Courage. I want to show you David. We're going to jump over the, we're just going to jump to the scripture. I want to show you David because David um, is writing in Psalms. And many people understand the idea of Psalms is, it's a collection of writers. Now, David wrote most of the Psalms. But if you know the life of David, you know that David, right, he uh, anointed king very early and struggled with Saul for a long time. He ended up taking Saul's place, but Saul tried to kill him a bunch. Like, it was a lot. David went through a lot. David's life is a very, very large part of the Old Testament. We know David's son is Solomon. May continues with him. But David wrote most of the psalm because this is, it's, it's also a form of um, writing in the scriptures that is different from the others. And I know I'm giving you a Bible study today, but I want you to understand it because um, it'll help you comprehend the text. There, there are narrative books. In other words, it's, right, this is what happened in Exodus. It's like a, a narrative book. It's Moses went from here to here to here to here. Boom, boom, boom. There are, there are letters, right? The epistles, which is New Testament. Paul wrote most of the letters, Corinthians and Galatians and Philippians. It's a letter to a church, church in Rome, the church. The gospels is like a little bit more of a narrative from in the four gospels, different perspectives of the same narrative. That's why you get different things in Luke versus John. The poetic books, it's only about two, a little bit more, but, but the main two, right, Psalms, Proverbs, the, this is poetry, and in this poetry, why, why, is, why is this important? It's important for you to understand that these are poetic books and that these are different than the other books so that you don't look for story. Why isn't this? And so you don't look for continuity in the story. It's like, well, I went from Psalm 1 to 2. To, wait, how many Psalms? Right. It's poetry, and it's random poetry. And in some of the poetry, they happen at different times. You're like, when is he writing this? And, and it's very important for us to understand it, and a lot of times you don't understand when he, when he wrote something because it's not on there. So it's like, what is David talking about? We, we look at Psalm 27. David is, many theologians, they, they struggle with trying to pinpoint. Is he old in his life when he's writing this, or, or is he 
dealing with persecution because somebody lied on him to Saul. So with those two things in mind, theologians struggle with where he was when he wrote this or how old he was when he wrote this. But the most important thing to remember is that he wrote it and in it, it's a poem. And in the poetic books, you see more emotion. It's like, I don't know if we have any songwriters in the room or artists in the room, but you know, when you tap into your art, it comes from a different place. You're like, sometimes you can sing your emotions better than you can say them. Sometimes you can write your emotions better than you can talk them. And David is writing his emotions in a difficult moment. He's clearly gone through persecution, but in it, he identifies courage in a, in a, in a new way. And I want you to receive, I'm going to, I'm going to read this Psalm over you slowly. Then I'm going to unpack it and we'll be gone. Um, but as I read it to you, and if we have CC, she can join me because I'd love for you to hear this on music as much as you can, but if not, it's fine. Um, I want you to receive this psalm as a cry from David directly to God, as a heart cry that maybe you have. And here in it is so many theological truths and consistencies that will help you be courageous. Yeah, just, just give me a little bit. T- turn CC up in the house. And, and I want to read this over you. Psalm 27. The Lord is my light. And my salvation. Come on, David's in a difficult moment. The Lord is my light and my salvation. So why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress. Protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? I love that word, tremble. Why should I even, why should I tremble? He, he's protecting me from danger. When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Come on, David is writing this. He's crying out and he's making a declaration and he's reminding himself of what is true. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I am attacked, I will remain confident. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. Come on, this is the temple. Your house can be the temple. This is the temple. Listen, for he will conceal me there when troubles come. He will hide me in his sanctuary. He will place me out of reach and on a high rock. Then I will hold my head high above my enemies who surround me. At his sanctuary, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord with music. He goes personal. Hear me as I pray, O Lord. Be merciful and answer me. 
turns. My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. I love this. He says, come and talk to me. And, and he says, and this is what I say in return. This is a prayer. He's back and forth. Hear me. Do not turn your back on me. Do not reject your servant in anger. You have always been my helper. Don't leave me now. Don't abandon me. Oh God of my salvation. I, I love this part because, and I love that you're reading this because it's like, can't you see yourself in David? You're like, oh God, I love you. You're everything. Woo. Help me. Stay, please, don't, don't, whatever you do, don't leave me. But I'm, I'm standing strong in you. Don't leave me, please. I'm dying, right? It's like, even if my father and mother abandoned me. Oh, that's a deep statement. He says, even if the people closest to me leave, the people that I trusted leave. Come on, that's for somebody with father wounds and mother wounds. Dad was never what he was supposed to be. Mom was never what she was supposed to be. Uncle was never what he was supposed to be. Family didn't do it. David's address. He said, even if they don't do what they're supposed to do, you will hold me close. You got me. You will hold me. Teach me how to live, oh Lord. Lead me along the right path for my enemies are waiting for me. We're going to end it here. Next verse. Do not let me fall into their hands. For they accuse me of things I've never done. He said, I've been lied on. I've been betrayed. I've been manipulated. With every breath, they threaten me with violence. Yet, I am confident. This is a huge statement. You've heard this song, but you got to hear how David is saying it in the moment. Yet, I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I am here in the land of the living. Says, I'll see his goodness not later now in the land of the living I will see his goodness I will see his goodness in the land of the living in this life that I live when I wake up in the morning when I go to my job when I'm navigating the marriage when I'm in the doctor's office when I'm trying to get more money when I'm worried when my anxiety is high when my depression I will see his goodness I'll see his goodness I'll see his goodness. That's why I can have courage because I'll see his goodness. That's, that's what it, his goodness. He's prepared this for me. I was, and I won't see it later because many of us have an idea about faith and Christianity that later it'll get. He said, now, I'll see his goodness in the land of the living. He closes it out here. Wait patiently for the Lord. Wait on him. What is David referencing? He's, he's referencing the space between when God says something to you and when he does it. The, the, the space of waiting when you know he's going to take care of you, but it's not happening. You're like, I, why is it doing it? It's in the space. He says, wait on him. Wait on him. He, he goes where he needs to go. He jumps around emotionally. He believes. He, he stops believing. He's, he's, he's begging. He, he, goes back into a moment of declaration and he ends it here. Wait. Wait on him. And here's our Lord. He says, he says, finally, be brave. He says, because you can't wait 
like you're supposed to if you're not brave in the waiting. If when you are at your lowest and things, and again, when you're unsafe, it is in that moment, he says, you must be brave. And why, why should you be brave? Because you, I've told you, I, you, I will see his goodness. <laughs> I will see his goodness. Even when people lie on me, when people manipulate me, when people talk about me, when people work against me, when, 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 when my enemies arise, even in the middle of the attack, I will be brave because I will see his goodness in the land of the living. Be brave. And then he tacks it on and courageous. Yes. Repeats it. Wait patiently for the Lord. Come on. Let's stand all around. As we close today, I love this. If you're someone in here, you're like, look, I just need a little bravery. I need a little courage. I need a little reminder. I want to I pray, but just lift your hands right where you are. I'm going to pray that God's spirit would give you a courage like never before. That you believe and know that you'll see his goodness in the land of the living, in the here and now. God, I pray for every hand lifted that you give them a courage like never before that you remind them in the moments where they are most unsafe even those that aren't lifting their hands but need it would you help them be brave would would you allow for them to be brave even when they don't want to be that they learn to live a life of courage but not just a blind courage but a courage rooted in your truth There's nobody like you. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, somebody give God praise in the room.